goodness, this is a gorgeous day, and I'm so glad to see all of you. My Austin High School's motto was mens agitat molem. The Latin for mons moves the masses, or the way people usually say it, mind over matter. That old saying is a tribute to learning and the power of the mind and the power that the mind can have over what we do if we choose to do that. It means that we can do whatever we set our minds to, although maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Basically, it's an existentialist statement about life, the purpose of life and the meaning of life. We use our minds to choose what we do and how we go about things every single day. Sometimes we aren't aware that we're making choices or that we might have other choices. I used to teach for the University of Maryland overseas in Asia, and the students were military service personnel and their spouses. Some had a hard time with the notion that they had much choice in their lives. They thought that because they were in the military, they had no power over what they did or how they went about their jobs or their lives. It was always interesting in a classroom, you know, when we discussed this notion that we had choices and that we could use our minds to guide our behavior. Maybe they had no control over where they were stationed or what their jobs were, but they did have control over how they went about their lives and their everyday duties. Maybe they didn't have control over how much longer they were going to be at that post or in that assignment, but they did have the power, using their minds, to guide and control the process and how they did their jobs. They could intentionally choose the attitude they would have about how they approached each day and each of their duties. That quote is very old, and yet today... Mental health professionals use the same concept to teach mindfulness and intentionality. We can train ourselves to be more aware of what we do, how we do things, and how we want to go about everything that we do. In one of his early books, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh uses the example of mindfulness and meditation as we go about our daily routine tasks. Most of what we do is pretty routine, like washing dishes. He talks about focusing and concentrating on making every move of washing dishes a careful move, noticing how our hands feel when we pick up a dish or pan, and how the water feels, and how we feel when we look at the clean dish after we've finished. He's taught hundreds of thousands of people to turn boring routine tasks into a mindful meditation that can have a pleasant effect on us. Now, I don't like to wash dishes. And I wish I would known about this when I was growing up. It would have really helped me to know that I could turn washing dishes into a sacred task. I confess I've never been able to transfer this to ironing or running the vacuum. But I know that I could if I worked hard enough at it. Because we can use our minds to convert most experiences into something fairly pleasant, rather than dull and boring, or even unpleasant. Now, this is really great, and it's a hopeful thing to know and a hopeful thing to practice. We can choose how to think about things, and then we can perhaps change our feelings from unpleasant to more pleasant and rewarding. Sometimes when I procrastinate about something, uh, do any of you all procrastinate? 
I didn't think I was the only one. Sometimes when I put off chores or tasks, it's hard for me to get started even after I've decided to go ahead and do it. So when I'm stuck like that, I ask myself how I feel now, unhappy with myself for evading a task or wishing I didn't have to do it. And then I think about how I will feel when I get it finished. I think about how I will feel after I've done this unpleasant chore that awaits me. And that's a good feeling. And then I ask myself what I have to do to move myself to that more desirable feeling to get rid of the bad feeling and see how quickly I can do it. And sure enough, as if by magic, I feel moved to get at the job to do whatever it is. The problem is that I don't do that often enough. Now, I really don't like to fold laundry. There's a big pile of clean clothes in the bed in my extra bedroom. A couple of Sundays ago, dashing around getting dressed for church, I had a moment of panic. I thought that I might have to stop by J.C. Penney's before I came to church. Thank goodness I found what I needed. Because preaching on Sunday is from the inside out. And I just couldn't do this without clean underwear. I have 38 pairs of socks and no telling how many of those other things. But lots. I've made a conscious decision, a choice, to have more than enough of that stuff so that I don't have to do laundry all that often. The point is that we all have choices about how we go about every day. Whether to finish the dishes and tidy up before we go to bed or to leave them till morning. That's why I was so pleased when I came across this book called Happiness by Matthew Ricard. It's the book that we're reading in my Wednesday night group. Ricard is a Buddhist monk. He's French, and he's the Dalai Lama's French translator and interpreter. He's a real smart cat. He became a Buddhist after a successful career as a biologist. So I'm learning about mens agitat molem once again from a French Buddhist biologist. So what in the world does this have to do with Easter? It's not about bowing down to any god. It's not about worshiping anything. It's not about salvation, at least not directly. But it is about transformation. And that's what happened with Jesus. He was transformed. The Easter story is about how Jesus died and was transformed. And it's a good story. And the best part of it is that we don't have to die to be transformed. We can transform ourselves not by committing ourselves to powerlessness and succumbing to God's will without question. We can transform ourselves with our minds, and especially if our hearts get involved with our minds. That makes it all the better. Now, I don't think people are born either good or evil. But we struggle and work and struggle some more to become good people. And most of us do our best to overcome the evil in us. And there is evil in us and in the world. We struggle to learn what our parents and teachers and peers try to teach us. We rebel against what our parents and teachers try to teach us. And somehow or other we choose, we decide what kind of person we want to be and what we plan to do with our lives. That's why adolescence can be so challenging. God, I wouldn't be a teenager again for all the money in the world. As teens, we struggle 
with deciding what kind of person we want to become. We struggle to create our own unique identities separate from parents and teachers and even peers. We identify our values and sort and resort those values we come across every day. Honesty or dishonesty, greed or temperance, duty or laziness, and even between caring for others and caring mostly about ourselves. As the years go by, our choices and opportunities become more complex. Sometimes our values conflict with one another. But generally they settle out, and we know who we are and what we stand for, and that we are on our way to becoming the ideal person that we would like to be. The joy of the realization that we do indeed have power to choose, to make our own decisions, and to change the way we are, that we can renew ourselves any time we really want to, and any time we really decide to, is wonderful. The choice is ours. Sometimes that feels heavy. But what a great, grand adventure life and its choices are. The journey can be one of continuous transformation if that's what we want to do. We're unhappy? Well, what is it that makes us unhappy? How would we rather feel? What do we have to do differently to make that happen? To transform that unhappy feeling into a feeling that satisfies and rewards us. And then we can make a decision. We can choose to do whatever that is. Or not to. I love it. I love it. Men's agitat molem, indeed. That can be an aha moment of real, true, genuine significance. Now, just to illustrate how dangerous a little knowledge can be, I did some research on this phrase. Men's agitat molem. It's by the poet, the Roman poet Virgil, and he included it in the Aeneid, written sometime between 30 and 19 B.C. So here it is, first in the Latin, and then I'll give you the English translation. <coughs> I hope my Latin teacher up in heaven is not listening. Spiritus intud alit totumque infusa per artus, mens agitat molum et magnose corpore misce. Heaven and earth, the watered plains, the moon's shining globe, the sun and stars are all strengthened by spirit working within them. And mind stirs this great mass infused through all its limbs and mixed in with its body. Virgil was talking about the creator, mind, spirit, the great spirit and creator of all. It's the deistic view of God, the creator, who sets everything in motion. So apparently it isn't what I thought at all. I thought it meant that we can just use our minds to make things happen in the world to choose and decide how to act and exercise our natural human power. But now mind, as Virgil wrote it, refers to the great overarching mind or spirit that set all the universe in motion and infuses all living and inanimate things. It's not monotheistic. He meant many gods. Ever since the 10th grade, I've misunderstood that phrase. And I took two years of Latin at Austin High with Miss Helen Hill. I had thought that it was a tribute to the power of the human mind, not the mind of God. 
Now, Miss Hill was a tiny little thing and probably didn't weigh over 100 pounds in her winter coat. She had gray hair that looked like she put it up in curlers every night. She loved teaching Latin and organizing the annual Latin banquet where we all wore togas made out of sheets and little green things on our heads. She taught us Latin songs like Gaudiama Sigatur and to sing Adeste Fidelis in Latin. We all inwardly loved her, but we kind of made fun of her behind her back. She was the sort of totally devoted spinster teacher that you hoped had an exotic secret life. My junior year, some of the parents got together and took up a collection from all the families in her classes and surprised her with the gift of a trip to Rome. She had never been to Rome. But my senior year, we heard about it firsthand. Poets have traditionally been interpreted, excuse me, poets have traditionally been expected to confirm that the universe has been designed by God or gods for humans and to pronounce that in ringing words. Many poets like Virgil have done just that and described how spirit quickens the mass of the world. The medieval European poets were certain that there was a good God at the helm. After the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, those certainties began to evaporate as more and more people could read the Bible and they began to question the authority and dogma of the church. Uncertainty as to what constituted true Christian religion opened the door to more uncertainty whether any religion was true. By the early 19th century, Wordsworth's pantheism echoed Virgil's idea of a designing God or gods infusing God into everything. In his poem, Tintern Abbey, Wordsworth wrote, And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense sublime of something far more deeply infused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns. And the round ocean and the living air and the blue sky and in the mind of man, a motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought, and rolls through all things. All poets didn't take such a positive view of God's creations. The Anglican poet W.H. Auden began a reflection on the unwelcoming nature of the universe with these words. Looking up at the stars, I know quite well that for all they care, I could go to hell. I confess that this fits better into my own notion of a neutral universe. I continued my research into the meaning and uses of men's agitat molem, that tantalizing phrase, and I discovered that it also has been translated as mind moves mountains and that mind moves the matter by several distinguished academics. So I'm not the only person who's played fast and loose with this phrase. I suppose this just goes to show that it's important to have a highly skilled translator or at least one who can put words and phrases into context. In a larger sense, the experiences have convinced me that we can use words and phrases to their best use as we choose. To their best use. Words are important. 
and I do mean it when I say their best use, a positive and constructive use. Today, this magnificent Easter morning, with festivities awaiting us all, I leave you with my trust that you will know your own thoughts, that you will become better acquainted with the workings of your own minds, and that whether the mind is yours or life, we are the lyrics and life is the song. Amen.